Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Work Balance Podcast and our 50th take of this intro. I'm Rowan, this is Adam, and we're the co-founders of Work Balance. On the podcast, we're going to be hearing the perspectives of revenue leaders from sales, operations, and enablement. We figure the less talking that we do, the better. So we're inviting guests on in pairs, and we're going to let them discuss the topics that we throw their way. On the first show, we've got Neil Ryland, the CRO at Pecon, and Roman Grun, Chief of Staff to the CRO at MongoDB. Uh, we talked through a few things, but mainly how management and selling have changed over the last year and what might persist into the future as we move into 2021 and beyond. Enjoy the show. I'll hand over to you guys to tell us a bit about you know your background and your story and how you ended up here uh, and doing what you do. Um, Neil, let, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, sure. So I, I always start, I, I ended up here because I'm not as good at rugby as what my mum told me I was. So I needed to find another career in quickly. Um, so off the back of that, being in London and needing to build confidence up, I was kind of advised to get into the sales game and was very lucky to work with some amazing people who are still mentors today at a company called Capscan um, that then went on to be acquired by GB Group. Um, and that was kind of me uh, from my way then into the, the tech world through an event called Toastmasters, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, um, and then got to know the Huddle team and the founders. Um, so went on a journey with uh, them from from zero to, to kind of 25 million, um, opportunity to live in the US. And that's when I fell into management. I'm kind of living in different different cities and supporting and onboarding, enabling people. Um, and when uh, Huddle sold as a PE exit, um, I found myself working with Pecon because I realized the value and the passion that I had for putting data to teams in the same way we do with our Salesforce systems, our finance systems. Um, and I've been kind of CRO at Pecon uh, for the last four and a half years on our growth journey from uh, zero to the recent news that we intend to be acquired by Workday. Yeah, and that's obviously how Ron and I both know you as well, right? Because we, we worked together for a long time at Pecon. Yeah, we had a great team. Yeah, did all right. Didn't do bad. Um, Roman, I'll hand over to you. Uh, sure, thanks. Um, yeah, my background is actually, I originally started out as uh, an engineer studied computer science, realized uh, similarly that uh, I wasn't quite as good as coding, encoding as I wanted to be. So uh, I went into consulting instead. Um, I worked in strategy consulting and technology consulting for a while. Uh, at some point uh, along that journey, moved to London. And uh, from there, uh, ended up at PwC before I went actually to MongoDB. Uh, my background in kind of digital transformation and operating models, process, and uh, general architecture design was quite useful there at the beginning, working more in a pre-sales function, uh, but then transitioned to basically becoming the right-hand um, support role, whatever you want to call it, the chief of staff, our current CRO. Uh, and my mission there is really to make, to create the conditions for sales, for our sales team to be successful, which involves all sorts of cross-functional projects from enablement to HR to pre-sales, post-sales, uh, process, go-to-market, product, pretty much anything and everything that somehow impacts sales productivity effectiveness efficiency it's kind of uh, my my thing and uh yeah that's how uh, i guess we got to talk to um a little bit about what can we do to uh, maybe improve things for us as well the, the sort of theme for this right is uh we're keeping it nice and loose but you know the landscape of sales how it's changed how it's changing and what that looks like in the future um and I guess a good place to start, you know, the last year we've had a ton of change, right? 
some of it's been great, some of it's not so great. Um, and I think it's really interesting for us to to hear, you know, what have those challenges been for you guys? What have the wins been? What new opportunities have come out of it? Yeah, so last year certainly was um, quite a big shift. Uh, the majority of our sales force is actually enterprise sales. So traditional field sales, face-to-face meetings, being with the customers, being in the offices, not being able to go anywhere and meet people, of course, is like a major disruption to that um, strategy and that approach. So we really had to pivot quite strongly, um, not only with regards to how we actually engage with our customers, but also how do we engage with our sales force? How do we coach them? How do we enable them? How do we make sure that we um, keep them in the game and successful and still, as I said earlier, create those conditions for them to also be successful and want to stay with us as well? And of course, that has um, kind of impact throughout everything, right? Like enablement. We used to do, for example, boot camps face to face. People flew into New York, very traditional model, right? You get them all together for a week. They get technical training. They get process training, skills training. They meet people from around the org. They get to meet some of the execs in, in HQ. None of that's worked anymore. So you have to virtualize all of these engagements, but you can't just move it all onto Zoom and have eight hour Zoom meetings, like nonstop, like people would just switch off after an hour. So you really have to rethink how you do stuff and basically virtualize that whole enablement curriculum completely from the ground up. You have to slice it up into bite-sized chunks. You need to gamify it. You need to make it engaging and interesting. Um, but again, you can't just like slice the sections up into 30 minute sections, say, well, play them back in whatever order you want. That's also not really working. So you need to find better ways to, to do that. So um smaller groups virtual meetups checking groups breakouts uh lots of activities over zoom actually maybe much more than we would have had in a classroom traditionally is really the only way to make that successful but it did work um it's a lot of work it takes some time to really convince leaders to take on that journey but uh, in the end the results were definitely worth it but that was just one one of the examples a huge impact of course yeah i mean I echo everything that's kind of been shared it's obviously is a is a, is a big change i think we're probably quite fortunate in our industries that that transformation is not as challenging as what it has been for other companies because you know we all work off laptops and you know most of it's pretty easy for us to get on with our jobs via video but it's not quite as engaging as what it was before um but i think the same thing we, we look at like our peak on data for example and i think there's a lot of stuff has been focused around you know how do we how do we help our employees be more productive but actually it's put a huge strain on middle managers you, know, you have a lot of managers that are managing junior employees in their first jobs and so it's like, not only are you not in the office to rally them and get them together in huddles or whatever, it's now like, okay, you're a first-time manager and you've got to manage junior people remotely. Like that, for me, has been one of the areas that we see the peak on data on growth scores is <clears throat> incredibly challenging. And all these people are in house shares. You know, they haven't got the luxury that perhaps more senior representatives do have where you can go into an office or I'm hiding in the bedroom. But, you know, I've got space to be able to do it. So I think that, for me, has been one of the changes how do you support your frontline managers so that they can still be great coaches? Um, and I think, again, there's some of the ideas that Roman put forward on little things we can do around like check-in sessions. Um, we've actually started to invest a lot more in like video content. And I know that might sound like, oh, catch up, Neil. But actually, if you think around traditional coaching, you're jumping on calls. People are tired of Zooms. So I've tried to invest a lot in doing little snippets training. Like, okay, when these objections come up, here are three things. And there's a little video. Um, investment in different tooling. So I don't think it's super relevant for work bands, but those types of tools now, their value is really realized because you have to rely on people doing more self-learning. 
um, in their own time than what it was in the office when you could group everyone together. So I think there's definitely some some good positives that come out of the back of this will last. Um, and it's also, I think, evolved the managers to be far more empathetic into this kind of blend between work and life. It's a work-life blend that you now need to find for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know we when we were at Pecon, right, we, or when I was at Pecon, um, that sales floor was so important for us to be able to take like the pulse of how the day was going, how the week was going, right? And for salespeople, it's super important too, because that's how they, you know, it's the energy that they've lost and they're being able to turn to people. And yeah, you're right. It's, uh, you don't get that from a playbook or a, um, it's tricky. And things kind of serve their time. I think, you know, when we first went into this, we were, we had, you know, the gong in the office, we've got the whiteboards up, you know, your leaderboards, TV screens for, for spiffs that are running. Um, and you can create energy just by having them up. And now you can't because the minute that Zoom ends, people go back to like looking at their washing machine or wherever they're facing in their house. So we have relied a lot on, you know, uh, technology to help to try to replicate some of that and using what I call a guardians of the culture. So the kind of core team that I know really want to help to make this difference. So we had like people instead finding objects in the house to replicate the gong, like hitting a saucepan, et cetera. Like different things we could then post in Slack when deals got closed. That then, you know, Pecon loves an emoji. But then like the emojis that come off the back of it. So you, you'll never replace face-to-face, but what you can do is help to still create the connections and that kind of serious, not seriously thing through technology. But you know, you've got to, you've got to lead from the front in terms of, of doing it as well when you ask people to do these things. Yeah. So I was going to say, I mean, we, I, I think the challenges, you know, uh, are not so surprising, right? What, what's taken you by surprise with, um, you know, the good stuff that's come out of it, right? What's, what's worked out really well and has been a win uh, in, in this like, adaptation and, and change? I think one of, the, um, one of the really nice things that we saw from people all of a sudden working from home, like it's really, um, they can work from anywhere, right? So we actually have seen quite a lot of uptake of people maybe working remotely for a little while, going back to their parents, going back to different areas, working uh, I don't know, with friends, like they had to go out of flat chairs, like working somewhere else. Um, and the feedback, actually, the engagement scores that we got through that and enabling our people also to do that was actually quite positive. Uh, you also all of a sudden get resource and new hires from places that you never looked at before. If maybe the culture before was, you know what, we want to have people in the office. This is uh, one of our locations or these are the three locations or five or ten, depending on how big you are. You're still limited in terms of where your talent can come from. Um, being able now to take in people remotely and from anywhere, as long as they have a good internet connection, really changes the, the hiring market, especially in, a, in the tech sector where it's so competitive in places like Palo Alto or New York or London or Dublin. Uh, it's just sometimes crazy to get people for certain roles with a certain skill set. So that was definitely a, a big plus. Um, how that's going to work out once we're all back using the offices that we actually have sitting there is maybe still to be seen. but. Uh, it's certainly a positive, and um, we're working hard to find a model that will allow us to actually continue to do that while keeping the office culture that, that Neil was describing earlier still alive and bring that back as well. Because you can't replicate it; like you can't cannot do that over um, over Zoom or or anything else. It's just not quite the same. And for some roles in particular, it's even more needed, right? Sometimes the more junior resources that you have, uh, maybe in, in SDR roles, etc. Um, they really rely on that culture and that energy that they really get from their peers being around them on a daily basis. They learn so much quicker and so much faster. They ramp up much, much better. 
um, if they can be around people. And it's just more challenging to do that remotely. So um, not sure yet how we will replicate that going forward, but certainly remote gives you a bigger talent pool in general. I, I would echo all that. I think the thing for me is that it's, um, and I would say I was very passionate around building a culture in the office and the kind of the discipline that comes with it, but also the kind of the ability to learn through osmosis is obviously much higher if you're in the office together and you hear calls and you know people share best practices and etc. Um, but it's community on, and I still see this like new level of trust that people kind of now have on the way that they're working because you have had to, as I said earlier, blend your work life. You have to put this trust. And I think I realize actually it does still work. You know, we've had some record quarters during probably the toughest times if you, um, you know, kind of put it into perspective. And I think the other thing is that it's actually built strong relationships in some ways because you now have this small little box that is a window into someone's life, you know, that you didn't have before. You know, so it has opened up a little bit the kind of personal and work life so that managers can actually build stronger relationships and peers wouldn't get stronger, whether it's like kids walking in the room, the classic pets, whatever it might be, challenges of people's internet. You actually do get to know your team weirdly in a different way that you may not have um, through office experience. So for me, it's also helped build some really strong trust bonds um, across the team and up and down the chain. Yeah, I would echo that as well, actually. What, what I would be curious maybe to hear as well, Neil, is if you also experienced um, some of our managers <clears throat> They have reported that they not only become managers, or they're not only managers anymore. To some degree, they now almost become like like life managers or life coaches as well, because like they, our employees open up a lot more about their own personal lives. Like kind of you share more all of a sudden, as you said, the kid is screaming, "Oh, I didn't know you had a two-year-old," or "Never really mentioned that," or you "Didn't mention this or that about your personal life." Right? I didn't know you had five dogs. Or like some of these small details come out, and all of a sudden you talk about other stuff, and not only work problems but also personal problems. And that I think. Uh, certainly can bring much, much stronger connections. But yeah, it also puts an additional strain maybe on managers because they're not only coaching those skills anymore and that knowledge that they've been trained to coach, they all of a sudden are like confident for completely different topics, right? And it's, uh, it, it's a new um, pressure maybe as well. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, they almost like gained a parent in some ways on some of these calls, it feels like, you know, for, for advice on things. Um, and I think it's also true of a lot of the macro trends that we've seen happen last year as well. Right? You take the example of the Black Lives Matter movement. That affected people in lots of different ways. But so they came up on conversations and again, put pressure on managers to know how to respond to what is a can be quite a challenging and difficult topic to be able to talk through if you're not comfortable about it or you don't have a lot of knowledge on it. So I, I definitely agree. There's been a lot of a lot of added pressure on managers to have to adapt quickly to continue to drive productivity. Neil, I guess, what are some of the ways that you're, you're keeping tabs uh, on, on obviously your management team as they're supporting everyone? Um, you know, how are you being a good manager to them? Yeah, well, I don't want to do a plug on Pecon, but obviously it does genuinely help to get a, a temperature check. Um, and practical advice, one of the things that, you know, I, I'd always run because I, personally used to benefit a lot from this was trying to pull the difference between a one-to-one and then what I call a UAD, ups and downs. So I think sometimes, especially more than ever, if you don't set the expectations right of what we're going into a meeting, it's very easy to kind of like drift on a Zoom, even easier than putting you in the coffee shop because you're in your own environment at home. So one of the things I've tried to help them with is like setting clear expectations and agendas of what meetings are and then giving a screen to talk through because it forces the topic, whether that's a Here's a dashboard you bring up in Salesforce to start your conversation. Here's the BI screenshot, whatever it might be. And that helps to drive the narrative of that conversation in a one-to-one and what the outcomes you need to get from it. But then I have the UAD, which is like the ups and downs. I look, 
I want to know what's been the best thing of your week, what's been the worst thing of your week. And then I share the same. Like, you know, again, some of this is like basic management stuff around like showing a bit of vulnerability, making sure your EQ is kind of switched on. But you really need to overemphasize it, I think, more in today's world. But I mean, practically for me, that's one of the things I've tried to do to support the managers. Yeah, I really like that idea actually of, of separating those those different types of meetings that you have, whether it's a one-on-one, whether it's a very specific deal review or kind of uh, uh, post-mortem on, on a deal, um, or whether it is a, a more personal conversation. Hey, what else is going on in your life? There's like, is there pressure? What, what are the things we can maybe help you with? What else is going on around it? Um, making that like something else and different, and making it also then like the right time to talk about these things. Um, doesn't mean people can't bring a bigger bring up problems in a in a one on one, right? Like there's something major burning at home. Like they probably always bring that up, and it's fine. But it's good to give them like that dedicated space. So I really like that idea. Um, and, and what you were saying there, sharing also top down, sharing the vulnerability, sharing personal stories from um, the executives and the leadership team. And um, that's definitely something that we've seen also have get really good response rates on all hands calls or in general weekly newsletters or just sharing some of these personal stories, like learning about what our CEO is doing on a Sunday evening, what he was cooking uh, with his family or what kind of board games our CFO is playing with his kids. Like those are details that kind of make these people also bring bring them more, more to life, make them more personable, maybe even more so than they would have ever been otherwise because they, there wouldn't have been the need to over-communicate maybe in certain ways. And, and now there is that need. So it actually opens up um, those channels and breaks down some barriers, which is quite nice. Yeah, it's a great phrase that the over communicate. Like we kind of, that's my advice to my manager: over communicate. Tell them, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them again, then tell them what you're going to tell them. Like it's that just helps people to kind of still feel part of something um, when you're kind of working remotely. Um, the other thing that we found started to work, and like, like feedback that I had was that with the lockdowns, like people are starting to feel overwhelmed. Like you know, and it's this. It's very hard to describe it because it's not like they've got loads going on in their social life, probably because you know we can't get to the pubs. But there's this feeling of feeling overwhelmed because you're like, well, when am I going to get out? What can I do? So again, one of the things we started to put in the place just in my uh, end of my one to ones was like, what's the one big rock you want to move this week? Just the one thing, and then drive a load of recognition around getting that moved because that get, creates that kind of intrinsic motivation that people need. Like it's. Well, we were doing spiffs and all these other things, but actually, if you're not with your teammates, the camaraderie around it isn't the same. But if I'm passing on, look, hey, we made good progress on this one thing you said you wanted to do. And that also creates a sense of accomplishment for those people as well at the end of the week when you go into UAD. So again, it's the kind of like breaking things down, but just call it the one thing. What's the one thing you really want to nudge out of the way this week? And if we get it done, like that's a win. Whatever else happens, that's a win. You, you mentioned... Um... You know, having a, a window into the life of your of your colleagues and I guess your manager as well. Um, but obviously, you, you've also got a window into the life of your your customers and your prospects. So, um, how how do you think that the setup at the moment has affected the sales process? That's uh, an interesting one. I mean, um, what what we always aim at, or like what probably everybody knows about as well, right? Is like you need to somehow build champions for your deals. Like you need to find champions within your customers that help you. Um, push something forward and kind of sell for you also when you're not there and kind of know exactly what are the benefits of your solution versus maybe the competition or why they should move now uh, instead of uh, in six months. Um, and showing showing them more of your personal side and learning more about them somehow helps enforce these relationships between you and your champion. 
because you just share a, a lot more with them than uh, your professional life. You all of a sudden let them see whatever the, the background in, in your in your room or in your office, or they know stuff about you, right? Exactly the same with your colleagues. You build stronger relationships, so you might almost get better champions. You might almost find it easier to build champions than it was before. Uh, so ultimately, that that can definitely have a very positive effect on on your deals. Yeah, I think it's it's probably pushed forward the agenda around like hyper personalization um, to kind of get to know people, but also know the buyer journey. Um, I think for me, one of the really interesting things off the back of this is that it's it's just proved we can do things quicker. Like if you'd have gone to one of the big banks and said, you need to get everyone in this building to work from home within one week and still be productive. That'd have been probably a 10 year transformation project. Like, you know, and, and instead they had to do it in a week, you know, so it just shows what the art of the possible. And I think what it will do, and we're starting to see it a little bit in our market is that it's disrupting normal buying cycles and patterns. And that means it becomes even more relevant to be in the right place at the right time. And like, how do you do that? You know, the obvious of defining your ICP, et cetera, et cetera. But actually it's going to come down to people knowing people and knowing where to go when they need that advice. So we've, you know, we've worked really hard now on like, how do you stand out from the crowd? Because everyone's a thought leader on LinkedIn. Like you know, everyone's posting something, you know, incredible with the link underneath. You're not really doing anything different um, by that. You now what you can be, do to be different is just be you because there's no one like you. And I think that's one of the things I'm trying to coach the reps on. It's like, you know, there is no one else on the planet like you. So Think how you can stand out. What have you got that's unique and different that you can share with that customer? Um, and like I said, like understand your the, the market that that person works in. Then you can show that you're relevant. Understand what's happening um, in their company specifically, how they impacted, then in their team, and then that individual. You know, we have so much information. That if you use it in the right way, you can still stand out from the crowd by just being you and doing your due diligence. And I think for me, that's. You know, we're seeing that work very well in a way of kind of standing out from the crowd and what's all digital at the moment. Yeah, nice. Great. I, I mean, I think it's uh, we we've heard this pretty much, you know, from every sort of customer call we've been doing. And that transition to being maybe more human, right, is the is the interesting part of this, whether it's like internally with your team or with the customers and be more deliberate as well. Right. Like you'll be more conscious in the in the way you communicate and how you communicate and how you set things up. Um, I think this leads sort of nicely onto the last last topic, uh, and we've got five minutes left, so we're going to wrap up. But you know, how does this then transition to? I'm not going to ask you know what the new normal is because it's a, everyone's asked it already. But you know, five years, right? What's the big opportunities for revenue teams and revenue leaders? Um, you know, what does that look like to you? Wild, wild assumptions, wild predictions. I don't know how wild it is, but I can give a maybe a boring CRO view on it in terms of what the opportunity is. But I, yeah, that's probably better. Do that. <laughs> I can try to do the credit stuff to marketing. Um, but I think for me, one of the, the things that's changing, I, and I think this has accelerated it, and that's the thing, is like this trend was happening, but I think what's doing accelerating it because buyers have access to all this knowledge anyway. And is that whatever you say your brand is, it's only true if your customers say the same thing. Because what your brand really is, is what the customers are saying in the market. And I think for me, the trend on that is when you start thinking about your sales funnel and its traditional approach of like how you fill something up and then it comes out here as revenue, you actually need to start thinking more like the hourglass because actually the most important part of your business is going to be that bottom part now because they're the people that are going to write your reviews. They're the people that are going to talk about your experiences. And I think sales need to get closer to that part. You know, understanding really what is the value of the technology versus what the sales pitch is because now, if you're going to teach someone something, they already know about your product. There's videos on YouTube. 
you know, there's reviews over here. Like, you know, there's so much information available that for me, this kind of idea of building, um, and I, it's a KPMG coined um, white paper. It's a really interesting read around like the connected customer sales experience. You know, we've had spin, solution selling, the challenger sale. The next wave will be the connected customer, you know, because you are going to have to be hyper-personalized and really understand that buyer's journey and what they're doing in order to be the value add. Um, so I think for me, that will be, one of the ways we have to think around how do we change our pipeline stages, how do we coach our reps, their onboarding experience, all those things for them to stay relevant um, in the in the future as we move forward. Yeah, I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially what you said there earlier around really getting to know not just um, your product, but actually getting to know the market, the industry, the company, the team that they're working in or the business unit and their specific personalized goals and kind of challenges that they face. Um, that's how you make yourself relevant to them. But then you also need to, stay, need to stay connected to that as well, right? You can't just um, sell and then leave and then hand it over to another team. I think all of that engagement around a customer will be much more connected. So the lines between sales and customer success, pre-sales and post-sales, all of those will blur together much, much more to actually drive that customer experience and really make sure that, especially in a cloud uh, software as a service type world where you don't sell license deals that last for five, 10 years or forever, that you need to almost validate or like revalidate why you are there, not only on an annual basis, but on a monthly basis, right? Or on a daily basis, they could just, customers can just switch off your solution. And if you're not actually connected to them, providing value, understanding what it is that they really need, um, you will have a very hard time in the future competing with customers, uh, sorry, with companies to do that and do a much better job in that. And not just see it as a transaction, but more as a relationship with a customer. Then you need to build that constant relationship. It's not just one deal or two deals. It's a, it's a relationship that you build. And alongside that, there might be, there might be deals. We do like a, a little, start doing like almost like the acid test on that with, with calls where we say to the reps, like, what did you teach the prospect? Like, you know, what, what do you reckon is written in their notepad that they learned that they didn't know coming on the call? Because 90% of your sales pitch is probably already available on our website <laughs> somewhere. So what was the bit that you were the value add on? And like, can you frame it? Can you define it? It's just a good way of getting the reps to think when they're prepping on this call is what is that piece of information that I can help them understand about their market, their company, their department, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you can, you can start to also validate the stuff as well and how successful it is. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's going in the social snippet, I think. Um, nice. Well, I mean, that's great timing, right? I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, good time to wrap up. Um, I just want to say thanks to you both for doing this. Like super insightful for me. Uh, I won't speak for Owen, or I will, and I'll say it was super insightful for him That's as well. That's pretty exciting for um, <laughs> Yeah, mate, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much, guys. No, no worries. Pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for organizing this. All right. That's it. It's a wrap. <laughs>